0: welcome to the country chapel podcast a show dedicated to bringing lessons in rural ministry to the calvary global network Within this show, I will be interviewing pastors, church planters, ministry leaders, and various rural network directors, all who have answered the call to minister in small and often overlooked places. The aim is to gain wisdom, guidance, and vision to help encourage and equip those already engaged in rural ministry, and to make the need for a focus on rural ministry obvious to all. I am Pastor Jack coltus and thank you for joining me. Alright guys, well hey. Welcome to the Country Chapel Podcast, and I'm really excited today because I have Dr. Jeff Clark from the Rural Matters Institute, which is part of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. And so, Jeff, why don't you go ahead and share a little bit about yourself, your background, short testimony, family, education, and why you care about rural ministry?
1: Uh, okay, that's a lot in a short time. <laughs> uh, as soon as I start speaking, people can pretty much tell uh, I grew up in Tennessee. I, I grew up uh, where Appalachia meets Southern culture. Those are two different cultures. Uh, I'm Appalachian. My wife is Southern. It's kind of like a mixed marriage. <laughs> um, I grew up um, on a farm, uh, a half mountain, half farmland, uh farmland. Uh, you can't get any more country. Uh, the, the church that my parents go to when I was a child had a whole separate building just dedicated to bathrooms. It, uh, it was a two-holer, uh, sit in the back. I tell people, you know, you're from the country. If you've ever limed your bathroom or the bag of lime down the hole. So uh, <laughs> yep. I grew up country. Uh, uh, I started, uh, two churches in rural areas. Uh, I've served with Southern Baptist in rural West Virginia, rural Montana, and then for 13 years, I did rural work in China and Taiwan and East Asia. So uh, everything I have done, everything I have lived, uh, my wife and I both uh, are from rural backgrounds. This is what I know. Uh, Why is it important to me? Well, 20 million plus people in the United States lives in rural areas. And I, I have this firm belief that uh, uh, when the Bible says that uh, God has a desire that none should perish, that the gospel is for everybody everywhere, including those 20 million who live in rural and remote places, sometimes the places that are hard to reach, uh, does not exempt them from the Great Commission. Uh, you know, when we're called to go into all the world. Uh, I'm I a big, I'm a big supporter of reaching cities. I, don't hear me uh, say anything that's not for reaching cities, but I'm also for reaching rural areas. I, I believe in reaching everybody, everywhere with the gospel. Uh, does that, is that a quick? Uh, synopsis, do you want more yeah yeah, yeah no
0: <laughs> no that's really good honestly and it sounds like you know just kind of hearing about your rural uh experience i mean so you've done rural pastoring in the united states and even abroad then you said huh so you you yes. have you've had your fingers kind of in all of it all around the world huh
1: yes and i still work with the international mission board for southern baptist uh mm-hmm. helping develop strategies uh resources for uh, people who are going to rural and remote places literally around the world so i, I have two jobs i'm bivocational i have one with the international mission board and one with Wheaton college working with rural in the united states and then working with rural around the world so i'm
0: i'm everything rural oh that is um, yeah
1: mr country
0: (laughs) (laughs) that is that is awesome well you know so i pastor a small little country church here literally out in the middle of cow pastures in rural missouri outside right in between two really small towns one's lowry city the other one's Deepwater. but you you mentioned the fact that you had also preached and pastored in montana for a while which means a lot to me because i'm a montana boy through and through so what part of montana were you in there
1: well, I lived in Billings, but I covered every square inch of the state. I, I was a state set for Southern Baptist in the state of Montana. So that means everywhere from Ekalaka, Wolf Point, uh, all the way to Troy, uh, mm-hmm. Dillon. I covered every, every – I've driven every square inch. I, I wore out multiple sets of tires just <laughs> driving across the state.
0: Well, that's a big state. It's easy to wear out the tires on. I actually – I grew up in Superior, <laughs> Montana – uh, just wow. six miles west of Missoula. So I, I'm familiar with everywhere you just mentioned, and my parents now live just north of Billings and Roundup. So, yeah, so I know that country. Cool. I, I know all that country very, very well you just described there. Well,
1: are they live toward Grass Range or toward Circle, Jordan?
0: Uh, more kind of Circle-ish, kind of that way. Okay. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> all right, though. well, hey, let me ask you then. So I was really excited a while back when I heard about Wheaton College and the Billy Graham Center uh, starting up the Rural Matters Institute. So, what was it that kind of brought that about, and how did you get pulled into that specifically there at Wheaton?
1: <laughs> well, uh, I'm uh, I've known Ed Stetzer who was there at the time uh, for forever. He and I were doing church starting before church starting was popular,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, before skinny jeans and soul patches and all the different things uh he was uh, in, in uh, New York and I was in Michigan and we were starting churches. So we saw each other different places. And so in, in about 2015 or so, especially with the, now this is not political, it's just the situation. But when Trump was elected, a lot of people started to begin soul searching about who are these people in the middle of the country who lived between the East Coast and the West Coast, the the flyover area. Mm -hmm. And rural became uh, kind of popular. All of a sudden, there were some books being published on rural ministry, which before 2015, you could put all the books on rural ministry on one shelf. Uh, You you know, if you you go to the, the library, you can see, uh, the seminary library, there's a whole section on urban ministry,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, row after row after row, but the, you know, about 15 b- books on rural ministry. And then all of a sudden there was a proliferation of books coming out. And so Ed wanted to uh, develop a ministry that helped also at that time was a raised awareness of the social issues that rural America is facing. The wall street journal put out an article saying, um, uh, that rural is now the new inner city mm-hmm. with all the, the the drug problems and the unemployment problems and the social problems that are going on. And so uh, Wheaton wanted to address how to, how to address the social issues and how to address the pastoral issues that rural America is facing. And, and so they set up Rural Matters Institute and then they asked me if I would come and, and lead that. And so I lead that. In conjunction with the International Mission Board. So I live in Richmond, but I I work at Wheaton and at uh, Richmond. So I have uh, the two different jobs working rural. And one of the main things that we're trying to do with RMI is at least be a connector. How mm-hmm. do we connect people? So so if you're out in your rural setting, you're going. I don't know how to start a. Uh, a youth ministry, where can I get help? You contact me, and I go, well, here, here's Doug Rutledge uh, in Michigan. He has a whole ministry set up just for this, and I and I get you connected with him. And so I do a lot of connecting. I also uh, do a lot of resource. We have a Facebook page. Uh, so here's my, my shameless plug. If you go to Facebook and type in Rural Matters Institute, we will... Uh, uh, it's a closed group, so that mm-hmm. every Yahoo in the world can't swamp us. Yeah, but but if you'll sign up there, we'll let you in. And everything I find in social media about rural, I put in that place, mm. so you don't have to go looking all over the uh, the the internet for things about rural ministry. We we try to put it there for you as a resource.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So resourcing. Uh, connecting people doing trainings i do I do quite a few trainings uh on, on rural ministry around the around the u.s so that's the kinds of things we're doing with rural matters institute mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. no that's great yeah and i'm definitely going to go check out that facebook page and go go get plugged in there because like as you mentioned i mean the resources on rural ministry, I am thankful about how many more books and stuff are available because I started pastoring here in 2014, and yeah, for sure, there was hardly anything, but I know from the work you guys have been doing and others, it's definitely, there's been kind of a resurgence in interest, and so that's great to know that there's kind of a one-stop shop to be able to find information on rural ministry, right. for sure, because we're it seems like rural ministry often gets overshadowed by uh kind of the more cool uh, ideas of you know the city minish- the city church and city church planting which like you said is great but we really miss out on equipping people who uh you know to reach the small as you kind of described it you know the the poor ghetto areas of um america that often get overlooked just because people don't think about it they, they have one idea of what a rural area is like and then as a lot of people find out once they get into it, it it's not what a lot of people imagine it actually is
1: Correct, right. and it's also not a place. If you're if you're in seminary and you're looking for where you're wanting to go, rule is not it's not uh, sexy, so to say. It's not the. You, it's hard to make a name for yourself when you when you go to do rule work. You're going to serve in anonymity. They're not going to ask you to speak at your denominational leadership meeting. They're not going to ask you to to uh, be at a keynote speaker somewhere. You're you're going to serving anonymity one of the mythological myths we have to address in this is um we don't I, I hear this all the time we need to go to where the people are and and that's not true we need to go where god calls us mm-hmm. and to some he calls to the highways and some he calls to the byways mm-hmm. and we need to be and we need to realize that that is a legitimate call mm-hmm.
0: so Am I preaching now? Should I? Yeah, No, 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 <laughs> no, that is so okay. good. I mean, yeah, cause that's kind of like me. Cause I pastored, like I like I told you kind of, you know, uh, I was in rural Montana. That's where I grew up. That's where I came to know the Lord in a logging community, fell in love with Jesus. And then after that, the Lord took me to the place I said, I would never go, which I was in a city after that for about seven years, did church planting mm-hmm. in the Seattle area. And then, um, you know, And then, like I said, in 2014, the Lord called us down here to Missouri, and it is so true. It has to be a calling. Anytime you go anywhere in service to the Lord, it has to be something God is directly calling you to do as a minister. But now, that kind of gets me onto a next question then for you. When you are looking for pastors who are called to rural ministry, are there any specific things that you're kind of looking for in these men to kind of see whether or not this really is a calling from the Lord or, or something else, you know, what do you look for? As you've been a pastor in rural settings, I'm sure you've seen a lot of guys come and go, you know, colleagues, I'm sure mm-hmm. in the rural setting. And then even with college students who have been sent out into rural areas, what do you look for when you're, you're like really trying to equip rural mm-hmm. pastors?
1: Well, it all comes down to one thing. And it's one thing only, and it's the thing is the currency of rural churches, everything you save and spend one currency in rural churches, and that is relationships. Mm -hmm. So in order to be a rural pastor, you have to be good at relationship skills. When we were in Montana overseeing Baptist work for the state, um, 85, 90% of all the pastors who were fired while I was there was not because of theology or for moral issues. It was because they had relationship issues. I had a church call me one time says, we need you to come this Sunday. We're going to fire our pastor.
2: Mm.
1: I go, "Uh, well, why are we going to fire him? Well, he's just not nice Mm. and we're tired of it. I said, well, I'm not sure that's a biblical reason is they said it may not be, but we're going to do it. (laughs) Uh, You know, so, uh, um, you're not a CEO when you go to a rural church, uh, uh the, the the maxwell type things don't work as well in a rural situation. What you are is a pastor. You're you're a shepherd. Mm-hmm. And that's a different thing than being uh, a CEO. You're not leading an organization. You're shepherding an organism. Mm-hmm. And and those skills you're you're taught very much at seminary and Bible college how to be a leader, a CEO, uh, the surprise for you when you get out there is the church already has a leader. There's a matriarch or a patriarch already in the church who's leading the church. You're the hired hand, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it takes you a while to become the leader of the church. Five, seven years, maybe you begin to become the leader of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a whole different thing than going into a church of 500 where you're given organizational leadership uh, and those skills come in handy at that point.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the things you just touched on there is something that I've heard over and over again, and I've experienced it myself, you know, being a rural pastor is that rural ministry takes time to become a leader. Like you said, I think, what'd you say about five to seven years?
1: Yes, and and at seven years, they don't have a ceremony where they hand you the keys. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah. They they give you a piece and see how you handle it, and if you don't handle it well, they'll take it back.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then
1: they give you another little piece, another little piece. So after about five years, you begin to have enough pieces to begin to be uh, be the leader of the church, maybe.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And what... Um you know what did have you found so relationship you say is a key thing that uh, pastors need then to be able to uh, you know Uh, to be able to reach that point of being a leader and being a person that's going to be respected and followed and then kind of given more of the trust of the community. Cause I think that's the thing a lot of people miss about rural ministry is when we're talking about, you know, people kind of the church handing over leadership, it's about them handing over trust. And what I found too, like in, in my ministry circumstance is uh, I was like the fifth pastor to pastor our church between 2020 and 2014 And so the church had gone through a lot of people who were just like there for a couple of years, two years, three years. I think the guy who was there the longest in that time frame was about five years. And I realized very quickly people struggle with trust in rural areas, especially when it comes to pastors, because it seems like. A lot of uh, rural churches, they see pastors coming in, especially younger guys, that they're coming in and they're going to use it as a launching pad. They're not even going to use it as a place where they want to commit and be committed to the people. Would you say that's something you've seen also?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We have to get past the mindset of starter churches. You're not in the minor leagues Mm -hmm. when you go to a, a rural church. You're not working your way up to the big leagues. Anywhere God calls you is the big leagues. Mm-hmm. It, it may be a small church and no place is unimportant to God.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: once you have these things in your head, this um uh the, the the problem, and you mentioned it here, these short-term tenures. When the currency is relationship, every time somebody leaves, it's like a tearing apart of the relationships.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And a church can only take so many times being torn apart till so they develop another leader who's stable, that, that matriarch or patriarch like I was talking about. Um, and so when they they know there's a, a two-edged sword on one side, the pastor comes in and he's successful. And if as he's successful, the bigger church in the next town over notices and siphons him off. Uh, and he's willing to go because they're willing to pay him a living salary, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's appealing when you have uh, a couple of kids and a wife and you're driving a school bus and working at an auto park store trying to make it work.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, The other side is uh, the pastor has some kind of theological problem or he's lazy and he's, and uh, after a couple of years, the church helps him find a new place of ministry. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, so, uh, so what you so what churches are trying to find is a really good mediocre pastor who won't be taken away, and we don't have to fire, who can stay long term. We'd rather have mediocre and keep him for ten years than have a really good pastor for only two years. Mm-hmm. And so, it's really hard to find that that pastor who's willing to be good and stay. Mm-hmm. Th- those are difficult to come come by.
0: Yeah, you know it's it's interesting as you're just kind of bringing that up because in the time that I've been here in our area, um, you know, uh, my the first five years I was here was really really rough. You know, for for a number of those mm-hmm. trust issues, and also, um, when I kind of came in, I had to uh, remove a leader uh one of the deacons from the board because he denied things like you know the trinity just small things like that you know (laughs) and and actually i actually i didn't have to remove him but it came down in a board meeting where he pretty much said if you guys don't fire him i'm leaving and so he ended up leaving which was good because i wasn't leaving and if he hadn't left i would have told him he had to go but um you know and so i really hit the ground you know with a major problem because he yes. was one of the main leaders in the church of course he taught all those adult bible school sunday school classes and wednesday night mm-hmm. service and stuff and it was like whoo! so i really hit the ground running there and um you know and so was in quite a bit of turmoil at the beginning but what i also found was a lot of the rural pastors in my area were kind of in the same place not for the same reasons as i was but like i used to have a group of pastors that i met with for uh, uh breakfast every tuesday morning for the first few years and every single one of those guys is either out of the ministry or in a completely different church from where they were when we first got together, just because it was because of the difficulties that they just faced uh, trying to pastor these small churches. And I'm going to kind of jump ahead here on our list a little bit, but it kind of seems like things are kind of going in this direction. You know, what steps do pastors need to take then in order to make it for the long haul? You know, in, in order to make it mm-hmm. to that seven, ten year period where they're actually able to start really accomplishing and building upon that foundation that they have laid. You know, what, what do pastors need to have in place to get there?
1: Well, the first thing you need to do is understand how long the church expects you to be there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So if if your church thinks you're going to be there three years and then move on, your your ministry really doesn't start until after the third year. Mm-hmm. once you once you get past that expectation, they're going, "Well, he's still here, I guess he's gonna stay, okay, mm-hmm. so that means the best thing you can do is move into your town um uh, uh, now I know in a small rural area sometimes it's hard to find a place, but if you can find a place in your in your town, move into the town, unload your boxes. I've seen pastors who've had boxes in their uh garage uh two years after they moved there Mm. what that's telling the people is you're not permanent Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
1: the next thing they need to do is listen Uh, again the key is relationships Uh, that's the currency and the only way you develop relationships is by hearing their stories Mm -hmm. so you don't go in telling them what we're going to do how we're going to fix things it's like a good country doctor you need to here first before you make a diagnosis, you know you know if you walk in and the doctor says, "Oh, I see what your problem is. you have cancer and we need to do surgery. You're going, doc, you don't you have you know the first thing the doc does is take your temperature and several other things that may seem unrelated, but he's gathering up information to help him make a good diagnosis later as a as a pastor in a rural area you're not coming in to fix an organism. You're coming in to work with, or, uh, I mean, organization, you're coming in to work with organism. So that means you got to sit down and hear their stories. And uh, I told one church, they asked me, what's the first thing our pastor needs to do? And I said, they need to make a, make a piece of paper and diagram who's related to who in the church. Mm. I said, you need to make a, a family tree. And the lady says, well, we don't really have a family tree. We have a family bush is so thickly interrelated, but yeah. you need to know who's, who's related to him. Um, the next thing you need to do is you need to be uh, uh, intimately involved in the community. Uh You need to go to ball games. You need to go to the fish fries. You need to go to everything that is done in the community. You need to be seen as a community leader, especially in rural areas. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't be isolated from the community. Um uh, I had a couple of different people tell them, I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm just here to preach the word. And I said, well, you need to keep your resume updated Um, because in rural areas, the first thing they want you to do is be their pastor, Mm -hmm. not the preacher. They, They can forgive mediocre preaching, but they can't forgive mediocre pastoring. And so that means being in the community, knowing people, visiting in their houses it means drinking a lot of really bad coffee (laughs) Uh, you know it's a it's you're you're building the foundation of the relationships from what you're going to do ministry Mm -hmm. does that make sense
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So longevity, what you're really keying in on. And this is and I think this is interesting because, you know, a lot of people I talk to, I ask that question and they will really kind of press in on, you know, you need to have accountability, you need to have support, you need to have these people you can lay on, which is absolutely true. But I really appreciate what you're saying, because this is also very true that I have found is you have to really push into that relational area of being a part of the community, being known, being recognized and and it sounds like what you're saying, too, is like also just reaching a point. Where you're like you're kind of being just loved by the church because you're there with them. Like, you know yeah. them, you know what they're going through. You're not just their pastor. As I've heard, I think it was Tim Keller in in uh, an article he wrote on the country parson uh, a number of years ago. Like he touched on the fact that the rural pastor tends to be more like uh, kind of an uncle like you know almost like an uncle in the community he's at every birthday he's at every graduation every sporting event he's just kind of like that extra uncle in the family who's just there at everything yeah and like
1: you said accountability that's important when you're leading an organization and and you hear a lot about that about you don't need accountability in a in a rural church they'll be it for you you don't have to worry yeah (laughs) They'll, they'll hold you accountable uh uh, that's uh, you know since you're the hired hand they're they're more than glad to tell you you know what's what's not working and what needs to be fixed. but yeah, when you're in a small community you're you're not only like the uncle, but you're you're, you're like the Bible traditional um, counselor for the community mm-hmm. uh, you become especially the smaller the community, the more. Uh, the bigger your counseling responsibility is. You're in a small community. You're the marriage counselor. You're the mental health counselor. You're the drug counselor. Uh, The police find somebody who's uh, suicidal. They call you to come out. Uh, uh, There's been a death on the highway. They bring you out to tell the family. Um, You you become... um, It's not just... You're not just preaching it's not even just pastoring you, mm-hmm. you are you are the counselor you're the community leader you're the one that they look to in times of crisis uh that that they might not look to you like that if you're in uh St. Louis, Missouri but mm-hmm. you know you're out in Deer Lake, Missouri they're going to look to you for these kinds of things and that's a, a different skill set than what you're trained for in seminary mhm and it's, uh, not, not easy to find those skills.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely true. I mean, I just think about the number of phone calls that I've gotten, you know, from, oh, just, yeah, emergency situations getting pulled into. And also, you know, I, I, I recently had a friend down for, um, he was, he was doing some revival services down at our church, you know, cause we still do revival services down here. And, yeah. um, you know, and I invited him down. He, he preaches a church outside of Kansas city and stuff. And it was funny cause we went to the one restaurant in town for breakfast a couple of times. We, we would go deer hunting in the morning. Then we'd go for breakfast right. and revivals in the, you know, in the afternoon, but it, 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 was it was a restaurant
1: was huh? a restaurant attached
0: to a gas station. It was not attached to a gas station, no. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, not quite, not quite. <laughs> we used to have one of those, but that one shut down. <laughs> but <laughs> but it was just funny, though, because, like, yeah, as I was sitting there in there with them, I, I couldn't tell you how many conversations I ended up having with just the people as they were coming through The little cafe there, you know, some of them who used to be people that went to our church, you know, are still coming, getting coming to me for counsel and stuff. Some people have never come to our church, but they all know me. And it it does just touch on that aspect of, yeah, you are the community counselor. It's like if you're one of the pastors in the community, you go out somewhere, people are going to start asking you questions. They're going to start coming to you for advice on all sorts of things. And so you always have to be ready.
1: There's a stigma attached to seeing a counselor. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, So even if you have a counseling service in a small town, you don't want your car to be seen parked in the front parking lot. Mm-hmm. But dropping by to talk to the pastor, that's a lot safer, you know. So you, you become, like I said, that that person. Um, my wife used to joke, uh, we lived across the street uh and our first church start from the grocery store and it took me an hour and a half to buy a gallon of milk. <laughs> you know, I made seven visits while trying to buy a gallon of milk, yep, yep. you know, and, but that's just real life. It, and if you're a preacher, that's very annoying. But you have to realize that Jesus did most of his ministry during the interruptions mm-hmm. uh, on on his way to somewhere. The woman stops uh, with the flow of blood on his way to uh, to somewhere they they they. It's like, can you uh, heal my my child uh, on the way? you know can you heal this blind man? Uh, uh, it's uh, for uh, for us who serve in rural areas, we have to realize that is the ministry
0: mm-hmm. mm. you know that is that is such such a good word there absolutely. we do most of our ministry on the way, man. That's a good word. That's that's one of those things I think so many of us pastors really just need to kind of remember because, you know, people are not impressed by, especially around here, they're not impressed by your stage presence or any of that kind of stuff. They want to know how much you care and how much you're willing to just stop and show people the love of Jesus right then when they are needing it.
1: Well, I told a church the other day, um, uh, that, uh, the, uh, I was preaching and during the preaching, I had to stop for about 20 seconds to let a big four-wheel drive truck with no muffler go by the church. I mean, he just, after he went by, I asked him, what do you have that that old boy wants? You know, he's got a four-wheel drive truck, a gun rack, a six-pack, and he's listening to country music. What is it inside your church that you have that he wants? It wasn't nothing. They couldn't think of anything. I said, that's right. He He's not sitting there with his friends at a bar on Friday night going, man, I hear they got a great preacher at the Baptist church or the Methodist church or whatever. I think I'll go uh, listen to him. Mm -hmm. Nobody goes, Hey, I hear they got really good music. Mm -hmm. I think I'll go try that church. The only reason they come is because we're back to the magic word. Now they have a relationship with you Mm -hmm. and they go, I like that guy. He comes by and he talks to me. He doesn't preach to me, and and the next time I'm in trouble, I'm if I don't go to church anywhere, but if I did, I'd go to his church. Mm-hmm. Because when he's in crisis one day, he'll show up dragging himself into that church. Him and his wife about to get divorced, going, I need help. You're the only one I trust. Mm-hmm. And that all comes back to that relationship. So that means you had to be in the community and you had to make visits. I know mm-hmm. that's a out of vogue thing now, but they're not. You can make the best PowerPoint uh, in the world and and hone your preaching till it's excellent, but they don't care.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They don't care about your music. They don't care that you've fixed up your sanctuary. They care about the relationship. It all comes back to that one word. I, I'm sorry, I'm just a one trick pony.
0: <laughs> well, no, but I mean. Even if it, people might get tired of hearing it, it's like, but that's the truth. That is the reality. I can I can tell you that from growing up in rural America to pastoring now in rural America, relationship is the absolute key thing. But now let, let's go ahead and kind of take a little, uh, kind of take a little bit of a turn here because one thing we didn't really talk about, especially for new pastors, is what's the best way to even get into you know a church or pastoring in a rural area. You know, because I talked to uh, David Pinkney over at Acts 29 a couple weeks ago. Yes. Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit. And of course, Acts 29, they're all about church planting. You know, they're about church planting, church planting, church planting. But then, of course, you got mm-hmm. different guys. You got like uh, Mark Clifton, who I'm sure you know, uh, yeah. who's all about, you know, revitalization and replanting churches. And then, you know, there's also the whole just getting called up by the church search committee and getting hired on in a church. What do you see as being the best way to get into a rural community as a pastor? Do you think it's church planting, taking on a failed work, revitalizing it, or just get hired in, you know, what have you kind of seen over the years?
1: Yes. Next question. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, There are many churches that are in desperate need of revitalization. Yeah. Okay. And and there is a need for church planting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we see this uh, over and over again. Um, uh, Pike County, Kentucky, is one example where they had like fifty-five churches in that county for for fifty-five thousand people, and that sounds, you know, okay. A church for every thousand people is not a bad ratio when you're looking at it uh, from a research perspective, mm-hmm. but um, only about eight percent of the community was in a church on a given Sunday,
2: mm.
1: and so uh, they they have a need to revitalize some churches, but they also had a need to start churches. And so the, the uh, and like my home county, uh, I tell them there's good news and bad news. Good news is in my home county, there's a lot of people who are moving in right now. Uh, it's a very uh, uh, appealing place retirees. Uh, Tennessee has no state income tax. And uh, if if you're from Detroit and you retire down in Tennessee, you're just an eight-hour drive back to your family instead of from Florida where you're a 16- or 20-hour drive. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the the good news is there's a lot of people moving into my county. The bad news is they're not like us. Mm -hmm. And so you either have to change who you are or we have to start churches that can reach these new um uh this new influx of of northerners who who come from chicago and detroit and Wisconsin and all these different places. Um and so that's a uh so there's a challenge for both of those, but there's also a challenge for pastures of um, we we have a tendency to to state things negatively that we have plateaued Churches, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I think a lot of those churches are not necessarily plateaued; they're stable. Yeah, they're they're solid churches in non-growing communities. So, if you're in Circle, Montana, it's been 350 people for the last 30 years. So, if you have a church of 35 and it stays 35 over the last 20 years, you're stable, and you Mm -hmm. can be a healthy, stable church. And so, I think there's a need for right now, just in the states of Tennessee and North Carolina, there's a uh just in Southern Baptist world, there's one thousand churches without pastors. Hmm. We have a desperate need uh for pastors and a lot of those are in rural areas. It's very difficult to find people who are willing to go to rural areas. It's so how do you get into it? It's very easy. Just talk to your denominational leader. He goes, here's 47 churches. Just pick one. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like you're fighting people to get into a church. We have a desperate, desperate shortage of uh, pastors, especially willing to go to places um, <clears throat> where you're, where you're not going to like a while ago, not make a name for yourself. We're not going to be, um, um, recognized uh where you're going to serve in anonymity with limited resources for the rest of your life
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: now for those guys who want to go like in and plant a church what are some of the difficulties Mm -hmm. that they're specifically going to face in church planting in rural areas
1: uh first of all no matter where you go unless you're going to your hometown you're going to go cross-culturally um uh, the, the leader of the Dirt Roads Network, uh, Steve McVeigh said, if you've seen one small town, you've seen one small town
2: mm-hmm. that
1: 20 miles away, the next small town will have a completely different culture. So the first thing you have to do is you had to come in as a cross-cultural missionary and learn your culture, learn your language. When I went to Michigan, they uh, I was in northern Michigan, Michigan. Uh, four and a half hours north of Detroit and when I got to that we had one traffic light in the county when I got to that county the question that I ask uh, a, a, a woman, a lady would be who are you from home? Mm. I'm going well I've never heard that question before the question is what is your maiden name mm. so that we can put you in a family structure uh, so that was a. Uh, so you have to learn the language you have to learn the culture and the way you do that is by getting involved in everything in the community that you can possibly join. Um, uh, When I was in Michigan, I joined Kiwanis, uh, Hmm. a a social club, and it allowed me an opportunity to meet all the leaders of the community, you know, the mayor, the chief of police, the the real estate agents, everybody was in that group. And that uh, provided us uh, acceptance by the community. I, I joined the, um, uh, the ministerial alliance, even though I didn't agree with them theologically uh, joined uh, so that we wouldn't be seen as some kind of outside cult or as competition, trying to take people away from their churches. Mm. Um, uh, rural communities are, are, can be pretty closed and uh, there's limited resources and pastors who are already there are not, excited about sharing resources sometimes Mm and so part of what you have to do is you have to join things and let people meet you and say well uh, either he's too dumb to be dangerous or uh, you know uh, we see what he's trying to do and that doesn't interfere with what we're trying to do so Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
1: that acceptance then allows you entrance into the community it's hard when the community opposes you to
0: start a church Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, if you come in, one thing, yeah, all rural communities are definitely suspicious of outsiders. So you have to gain, I mean, like kind of like you got to gain the trust of the church you're in, whether whether you're starting a church or taking over a church. Same thing with the community. You got to gain the trust of them and the ministers there to at least... Know who you're about, and like you said, you might not agree on everything doctrinally, and chances are you won't, because rural communities Mm -hmm. tend to have only one of the specific like denominations there. You're not going to have two Baptists, you're not going to have two Wesleyans. You're going to have like your baptist you're going to have your methodist You might have one liturgical, like a Lutheran or something, in there, you know, and then normally Mm -hmm. then and then like one non-denominational. It seems like that's kind of how it works around here. And so yeah, trying to so trying to find friends who you agree with doctrinally is going to be very difficult, but you can still form those relationships, especially around the the key things like the gospel and stuff that we should be in agreement on. But now, okay, let me ask you then. So even within the church, so whether you uh, took on an existing work, did revitalization, planted a church, you know, eventually within the church, you have to raise up leaders when you're a pastor. I mean, this is true of any church that you're in. And regardless of whether it might be a plural eldership or a deacon board, whatever your specific church's policy might be. We have to go about raising up leaders now one thing i have found that's difficult about raising up leaders especially in a rural area is um even though like i came from a rural area myself and then came back to a different rural area you know what like when i was church planting in seattle you know i was with calvary chapel i was in seattle originally Mm -hmm. because of a bible college there and so we had kind of this ever ready resource of kids and young men and adults who had gone through some form of bible college or training that I could then easily put into leadership. But when you get into rural America, sometimes it's even hard to find somebody with just a college degree generally, especially among the men. If you're in like a real agricultural area or mining area or logging area where a lot of these guys are hard blue collar workers, good men, godly men, you know, but they don't have all the education and stuff that we often think of when we're looking for leaders. How do we go about raising up leaders in such uh, places and circumstances like that?
1: well the the first thing is to realize the only thing that needs a degree is a thermometer-
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, what you what you need is a calling yep. and that calling is different now also we have to help churches um I, I have churches all the time man can you help us grow we ne- we need some more workers in the church and um that's a what we tend to want people who will help our church not people we have to help mm-hmm Uh, So um, the the reason we have a thousand empty churches right now in Tennessee and North Carolina is because um, we've not done a good job in making disciples. When we focus on making disciples, after a few years, we don't have enough places for these people to serve. We have to send them out in order to keep them working. Um, Instead of, uh, instead of having to beg people to, to do jobs we got more people wanting to do jobs than we have places for them to serve that's the way discipleship works discipleship and raising up leaders is not a program then it's a matter of you taking somebody with you as you make visits Mm. and they watch you make visits and they they watch you counsel and you help them to put together a, a sermon and, you know, I have people, oh, I can't preach. Uh, well, you teach Sunday school. This is only half as long and nobody gets to interrupt. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a, a perfect situation. Uh, and so uh, let's just try it once and see how it goes. And you work with them and they go, well, that wasn't so bad. You know, well, OK, in a couple of months, I'm going to be on vacation. I need you to preach this date. And And you start raising them up with just in time training instead of, trying to send them off to school and get them certified. Once they get certificates, they want to go to bigger churches.
2: Mm-hmm. If
1: you keep them, if you keep them in the community, um, um, the second great awakening, the Methodists did circuit riding preachers. Mm-hmm. Baptists raised up former pastors, uh, the, the, and former pastors, the church can't fire him because he belongs to the, in the church, his family's in the church. Um, he's going to be there long-term. He doesn't have assimilation issues. He doesn't have outsider issues. Um, There's a lot of advantages of raising up uh, lay people to be pastors um, without necessarily giving them a whole bunch of uh, certificates and degrees, but giving them what they need to actually lead. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of resources today that you can help somebody where they don't have to go off to go to school mm-hmm. For. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. so yeah le- let me ask you, you know, let's say you had um, like a couple men who you thought you know, they they had an inkling first themselves they weren't being pressured into it they had a desire to possibly step up like into an eldership role you know you mentioned like hey you know kind of having them an opportunity give them some teaching responsibilities and then doing the whole hey i'm gonna be on vacation you're taking the pulpit stuff like that now and then of course bringing them along with you on visits and visitations those kinds of things how um what what do you think about, like, formal training? And when I, when I say, for, like, informal, formal training, like, uh, what would you see, like, doing personal Bible studies with them, like, and personal meetings? Like, how would you guide some of those kinds of things, whether it was, like, after a Sunday or early in the morning, how, you know, so that you could really pour in some of the doctrinal truths and things like that they need to learn?
1: Right. Um, well, I think you answered the question. That's what you do is you pour you pour into them in, yeah. in these and, and this time, the thing is um uh, making disciples takes time. Mm-hmm. Uh uh and so it's not a it's not a program you can't go online and buy something, you know. Here's a guaranteed way to make leaders. Well you can go in and buy that stuff, but it's not it's really not effective in a rule setting. Yeah. You're you're trying to put different skills. Into them, and some of those skills they already have because they grew up in the relational church. They understand the relationships. They already know who the matriarch or patriarch is. They know how the church works. What they need are some skills, uh, some specific skills in in uh, uh, preaching and counseling and administration. Uh, one thing is also in a small church, especially in a very small church, is to take some of the roles of a traditional pastor break them out and give them to different people in the church Mm -hmm. so that one guy doesn't have to do what we think of as everything that a pastor does. Mm -hmm. So that member care might go to one person. Administration might go to one person. The teaching of the class goes to one person. The music goes to one person. And so that you break up those responsibilities so that it's not so overwhelming to each one
0: their role. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, just thinking about that too, because, and I think this is a lot of people, if anybody's listening in from a larger church, they might un- understand like all of these roles you just mentioned. It's like, generally speaking in small churches, because they're small churches, these roles are all very much just kind of like specific you have an admin you have a person doing some administrative you have a you have a worship leader and if you have a worship leader you're lucky i mean i can tell you that in a lot of rural areas and if they can just sing on key yeah yeah if they can sing on key and at least have semi-decent stage presence not even perfect yeah we're gonna pat that guy on the back and put him up there (laughs) yes yeah absolutely yeah no that's no that that's some really really good wise words you know you're sh- just sharing there. Um now let me ask you uh w- what would you say you saw as the biggest difficulty you had with leaders within you know, rural churches, because a lot of guys, they come into churches, they raise up leaders or leaders are already established. And you hear all of these stories of the nightmare board meetings and all that kind of stuff between the original board and the pastor and those kinds of things. How do you help pastors navigate through that kind of stuff when they have established leadership that they got to deal with? Mm
1: Boy, established leadership that's, Not going the same direction you're going is a very difficult situation. And part of that is you have to, uh, again, before you can start trying to fix that, you have to be willing to listen, to be heard, uh, to uh, to hear what they're saying in order to, to develop the relationship enough that they trust you when you have to make hard statements. Mm-hmm. When you have to make a hard thing, but you can't do that in the first six months of your ministry. Uh, you haven't earned the right to be heard. You haven't earned the right to to make decisions for this church. This church has been here two hundred years, and my family's been here the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, I grew up on a farm where my dad grew up, and his dad grew up, and his dad grew up, and his dad grew up. You know, we we've been here for. Uh, Clarks have been in this area for 200 years you've been here for six months and and you don't even understand us
2: mm-hmm. and
1: you're trying to tell us what to do and so you have to listen and, and sometimes the the most terrible part about listening is sometimes every once in a while you'll figure out maybe you're not right and that's really <laughs> i i hate that personally uh, <laughs> you, you know and, and, okay, so maybe we need to do it your way. Uh, um, and, and sometimes you have to look at it and go, in order to fix this, this is going to be a five-year project to, to even begin to address this. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have to get it done today. Uh, and, and I don't have to get done this month. Let's take our time. Let's... Um, uh, the old country saying that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Your job is to put salt in his oats so that it makes him thirsty. Mm-hmm. Uh, m- many a time, I've, um, I've pulled a key leader aside and said, what do you think about this? They go, oh, that'll never work. Or, okay. you know. Six months later, they come to a business meeting somewhere and say, hey, I think we ought to do this. And everybody goes, oh, that's a great idea. And you're going... I I told you that six months ago. You know, if if you if you're willing not to get the glory,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's amazing what can be done. Um, uh, and some it's sometimes uh faulting the oats of the right leader uh, instead of confronting them in a in a meeting. Mm. It, you know.
0: Yeah, it it reminds me of that old, you know, counseling technique. You don't tell the person what to do. You just kind of try to lead them so that it just dawns upon them and they think it was their idea almost just kind of kind of doing that old work, because it's like if they suddenly think they came up with it on themselves, they're going to be happy to go with it and you win because, hey, this is what you were wanting to see happen anyways. So
1: right. And and that's much of what leadership is in a rural
0: church. Mm hmm. Well, and and I think again, it's kind of like kind of like that drum we were beating earlier on. You know, it's a relationship, it's relationship, 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 and knowing how to communicate with people, knowing how to work with people, and and to show people you truly care and you're committed. Like if somebody disagrees with you, you're not just gonna be like, well, I'm done with you, people, I'm out. But you're in the long haul because it's not about your ideas; you're caring about the people and their spiritual w- welfare, and so you're willing to put in the time to make that happen.
1: Right, and you realize these people they they don't agree with everything that their family says Mm -hmm. but they're still family and they still come the next sunday and and you have to realize it's not a they're not invalidating you because they didn't didn't do this one thing you wanted to do they're going you know overall we like the preacher he just had that one crazy idea and we ain't doing that but yeah other than that he's okay you know yep yep better than finding another one
0: yeah well yeah and it's funny too because there's a lot of churches You know, that they have gone through having to find a lot over in a short period of time. And yeah, kind of like you said, a lot of guys, they'll put up with mediocre preaching. They'll put up with a lot of mediocre other stuff as long as they know you care. You know, they're willing to tolerate as long as long as you're a person who shows care and builds relationship. And the same is true for the leadership board. I mean, just across everything, that's what people are going to care the most about. Well, Jeff, I, so I just kind of looked at the time here and I realized, man, we've almost we've already been on for about an hour or so. And I, I want to make sure that I re- respect your time and the time of our listeners here. Um, you know, with, with your experience that you've had abroad and locally, are there any other kind of closing thoughts that you would really like to share to make sure that, especially for the rural pastor, the guy who's considering rural pastor, that you would really want them to be thinking about or be encouraged by?
1: Yeah. W- one thing, uh, I, I'm simple. Everything is just one thing.
0: Yeah.
1: This one is love the people where you are mm. and you can't love them. If you're looking to go somewhere else, um, and you know, don't, um, uh, don't send out resumes and look at, you know, going, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to find somewhere better. I I've got some experience now. I can move up, love the people where you are and let God lead you uh what you should do to stay mm-hmm. to go that needs to be his leading not yours not family concerns but love the people and when I say love the people I mean love them uh uh pray for them and care for them even those that are cantankerous you can still love them and you love them uh you love them because God loves them. You know uh and and when you start some because sometimes they're not lovely. The the truth is they're just not lovely. And when they're not lovely, if you love them because you love them, um, you'll quit. You'll quit. But if you love them because God loves them Mm -hmm. and God desires to see them uh, saved, God has a desire to see them grow in their faith and uh, in their likeness of him, then you can put up with more things. Mm -hmm. on that so so my thing is just love the people where you are uh and they will respond to that people respond to being loved
0: Mm -hmm. amen you know kind of just reminds you of jesus's you know two greatest commandments love god with heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself and and it it, it is it is amazing even you know when we're just faithful as pastors to do that second thing just love the people how well like paul said that fulfills all the other commandments and that touches on something that so many people are missing out on is true real care and relationship which i found in whether 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 you're in an urban setting or whether you're in a rural setting that is something that people are absolutely starved for and i don't think we even fully fully you know grasp all of that but yeah no that's a that's a good good word there brother uh anything else or you think you got it you know, exhausted.
1: I've said, I've said 20 minutes more than what I know already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate you so much coming on. And I'm definitely going to jump onto that Facebook group and get connected in with you thank guys you. there to get get some of those resources. And I might reach out to you again here uh, maybe sometime in the future to try to get some more advice. I, I always appreciate being able to talk to men who they've experienced it. They've been there. They've done it. They're not just the guys up in the ivory tower trying to, you know, disseminate information. But, man, it's it's always best to learn from the guys who are the workers in the field. And so I appreciate you so much.
1: Anything we can do to help rural people be more effective at reaching their communities for Christ, let me know. I'll be awesome. glad to, to help in any way I can.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate you, buddy. This has been an episode of the Country Chapel Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Global Network. Please like and share this with your friends in ministry and subscribe so that you can be notified whenever we release any future content.